0: The story of John Brown brings us to the final chapter, and that is his failed assault on Harper's Ferry. Now, it's interesting uh, about this particular historical event, uh, other than the uh, strange uh, brevity that it's addressed, uh, primarily in in, uh, books and textbooks and the like, uh, is how John Brown is described and phrased. Uh, so before we get into particulars uh, with the uh, events at Harper's Ferry and the subsequent uh, trial, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting to note and to keep in mind uh, as we go through the rest of this information together how he is viewed in the present day, and especially how Harper's Ferry is viewed in the present day and compare that to uh, the public opinions of John Brown at the time. One of the most dominant uh, kind of ideas put forward about John Brown uh, is that his assault on Harper's Ferry uh, was uh, a a direct action intended to incite a large-scale slave rebellion. Uh, There are even some in the modern day who uh, prefer to referred to him as a political terrorist or a domestic terrorist. And what's, what's interesting about those arguments uh, is that they're neither new uh, nor creative, uh, but they are actually just identical arguments that were leveled uh, by the pro-slavery uh, press and Democrat Party uh, politicians at the time, uh, which we'll have an opportunity uh, through going through a true accounting of the events Uh, to understand exactly what his motives were, not just from the man himself, but also from Frederick Douglass, uh, who Brown had uh, spent some time with uh, in 1846, and that uh, was a full 13 years before the events at Harper's Ferry. And it was then that John Brown explained to the indescribably fantastic Mr. Douglas exactly what his plans were going to be, uh, 13 years from then. So without, uh, miring the conversation too much in the events themselves, uh, in 1859, John Brown and a group of 18 other men attempted to raid the armory in Harper's Ferry, uh, as one might uh, surmise Or probably already aware of uh, Thus this attempt failed uh, Ultimately John Brown was uh, Stabbed Cut with sabers And uh, beaten in the face and head rather severely uh, With butt buttstocks uh, and, and taken Alive to stand trial Now it's <clears throat> It's useful to set the stage a little bit uh, With the Words of Frederick Douglass. Again, these are uh, detailing an event uh, that occurred in 1846, and Douglass had actually stayed with John Brown uh, overnight, Uh, as was covered in the uh, in episode 16. Uh, John Brown did not just spontaneously emerge with Bleeding Kansas or Harper's Ferry, uh, but had been a a, uh, a authoritative figure in the abolitionist movement, uh, at least as early as 1825. Now, Douglas wrote of this meeting uh, in one of his autobiographies, and he wrote, and I will quote him here, His plan, as it then lay in his mind, had much to commend it. It did not, as some suppose, contemplate a general rising among the slaves, and a general slaughter of the slave masters. An insurrection, he thought, would only defeat the object, but his plan did contemplate the creating of an armed force which should act in the very heart of the South. He was not averse to the shedding of blood, and thought the practice of carrying arms would be a good one for the colored people to adopt, as it would give them a sense of their manhood. No people, he said, could have self-respect or be respected who would not fight for their freedom. Now it's interesting to examine this uh, conversation, uh, paraphrased here, uh, by Frederick Douglass, uh, and juxtapose that with uh, later assertions made about uh, John Brown and his motives. <clears throat> but really, uh, this this was a large-scale uh, enact, uh, enactment of similar things that John Brown had already done. Uh, you know, he had formed the League of Gileadites, whose uh, function and role was to uh, arm and train uh, fugitive slaves and, and free blacks and how to uh, use arms to defend themselves. Now, it really can't get much more American than individuals uh, being properly equipped to ensure for their own, uh, for the preservation of their own life and liberty uh, and therefore they're also their pursuit of happiness, which depends on the first two. Now John, uh, John Brown was arrested, uh, he was taken, uh, obviously captive as a prisoner there, and then it gets a little strange because he was actually tried in a local court. Now why that's unusual is because he assaulted federal property. It was a federal armory, uh, his intent obviously was to acquire their arms and then distribute those to, uh, fugitive slaves, or free slaves, or really just any slaves in the area that would like to be free because of this it should have been held in a federal court Uh, it was not and that is a uh, an apparition of sorts as far as the court systems were concerned and the obvious problem here was that uh, the southerners wished to keep him in a a southern court uh, so to say Uh, Going to a federal court, uh, they ran the risk of actually having a jury of his peers uh, that might find him not guilty. Uh, And there was always that off chance of some other type of political intervention. Uh, Now, uh, historical hindsight would would show that this this choice they made was uh, definitely not the correct one. Uh, Now, Brown had... uh, Pretty well, already determined that this was going to be his uh, his kind of last hurrah uh, for the for the what he felt to be the godly and divinely inspired uh, plight of the abolitionist. In fact, uh, a friend of his from Kansas, Silas Sewell, uh, he actually gained entry clandestinely into the prison and offered to free John Brown, and he uh, politely declined, presented him his thanks and said that he was uh, more than prepared to martyr himself. Uh, one can wonder at this point, perhaps, if John Brown was just, his soul might have been a little tired, not to mention uh, his body uh, beaten and destroyed, and it's not even quite clear if he would have ever recovered from those injuries. So while he's awaiting trial, uh, Brown was interviewed, uh, actually, by several interested politicians and uh, newspapers. And, They inquired of him, how did he feel about his actions? Did he feel like what he was doing was the right thing? And John Brown uh, responded in his uh, typical kind of fire and brimstone uh, (laughs) fashion. And he, he replies, I think, my friend, that you are guilty of a great wrong against God and humanity. I say it without wishing to be offensive. And it would be perfectly right for anyone to interfere with you so far as to free those you willfully and wickedly hold in bondage. I do not say this insultingly. I think I did right, and that others will do right to interfere with you at any time and all times. I hold that the golden rule, do unto others as you would, that others should do unto you, applies to all who would help others to gain their liberty. And when he was asked specifically if he felt that he was on the side of God, which... You know, this was always a debate with the slave, uh, the larger slave conflict and slavery dilemma, uh, so much so that it, it fractured religious institutions into two. You, know, you have your Northern Baptists and Southern Baptists, for example. So when he's asked if he feels he's serving in sight of God, uh, Brown replies, it is my opinion. The greatest service a man can render to God. Upon the golden rule, I pity the poor in bondage that have none to help them, That is why I am in here, not to gratify any personal animosity, revenge, or vindictive spirit. It is my sympathy with the oppressed and the wronged that are as good as you are, and as precious in the sight of God. Now they also address a very popular uh, kind of uh, words that really don't describe the absurdity of this argument, but one of the uh, the more I guess, social arguments made for slavery was that uh, slaves develop a familial, uh, loving bond with their slave masters, and that abolitionists were were stealing into the South and abducting slaves, slaves who wanted to stay on their plantations, uh, and that the uh, abolitionists were actually taking them against their will. Uh, We can see this actually in popular literature at the time as well, uh, with uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, and then it's antithesis, uh, Gone with the Wind. And so they uh, presented this kind of sidebar argument to Brown, which proved to be a, an error. Uh, a bystander, they're only listed as a bystander in the court documents or in the interview documents, but they asked, they asked John Brown, why do you take slaves against their will? And he responds, I never did. I want you to understand, gentlemen, and then he refers to the reporter at the Herald. You may report that. I want you to understand that I respect the rights of the poorest and weakest of colored people, oppressed by the slave system, just as much as I do those of the most wealthy and powerful. That is the idea that has moved me, and that alone. We expected no reward except the satisfaction of endeavoring to do for those in distress and greatly oppressed as we would be done by. The cry of distress of the oppressed is my reason and the only thing that prompted me to come here. So back and forth in this interview, they're trying very hard to get some kind of affirmation uh, where, where John Brown can satisfy any one of the many stereotypes and tropes that have been developed in Southern culture and the Southern press uh, about the, uh, the wickedness, as uh, Jack- Andrew Jackson referred to them. Uh, of the abolitionist movement Uh, try as they might uh, they couldn't even uh, find any supportive evidence for their claims from a man who for all intents and purposes at least prior to the Civil War was uh, really kind of the manifestation of violent resistance uh, at the time so uh, Mr. Brown uh, goes to trial finally And during the trial, uh, other peculiarities emerge. Uh, First, he uh, is not given uh, defense counsel. He's not allowed uh, to speak on his own behalf. Um, And he's also still severely hurt. Uh, He has to have assistance to stand, for example. Uh, He has difficulty seeing or hearing because of the blunt force trauma that he had uh, suffered uh, during his apprehension. And when this trial started, uh, Brown actually asked and uh, requested that the trial be skipped completely, and they go directly to the sentencing. And he descri- uh, described described it essentially uh, as a farce. It was just silly. It was a waste. It was a you know a Southern kangaroo court. He's like you know we could just spare my dignity and the court's time. Uh, we just go ahead and, and just skip past go and and you know get to. Uh, get to the, the, the climax here uh, that was denied uh, of course the southern courts wanted to make a bit of a show of it because their goal here was not just to get John Brown they already had him uh, they wanted to uh, pursue and arrest or not arrest rather but uh, successfully prosecute as many other people as they could he did, ha- <clears throat> he did however have a little bit to say And those words we will also address here. Uh, At the opening, uh, John Brown says, I have, may it please the court, a few words to say. In the first place, I deny everything but what I've all along admitted, the design on my part to free the slaves. I intended certainly to have made a clean thing of the matter, as I did last winter when I went into Missouri and there took slaves without the snapping of a gun on either side moved them through the country, and finally left them in Canada. I designed to have done the same thing again on a larger scale. That was all I intended. I never did intend murder or treason or the destruction of property or to excite or incite slaves to rebellion or to make any kind of insurrection. <clears throat> Obviously, the courts uh, were not swayed by his uh, his statement here. Uh, While awaiting uh, his execution, uh, Brown actually rejected uh, any and all offers for uh, religious uh, consultation. Uh, He determined and declared to these clergy uh, that any men who represented slavery uh, were anathema to Christianity, that they were essentially false prophets. Now, at his actual execution, we have another historical figure, although he would not uh, rise to infamy uh, for about another five years. Uh, And that was John Wilkes Booth. Um, He was a Southern Confederate Democrat who would later assassinate Abraham Lincoln, uh, the first Republican president. Uh, And he was uh, present at the execution of John Brown. He wrote uh, very glowingly, actually, of the events. Now, before uh, just before he was finally hung, uh, John Brown's final words were, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away but with blood. I had, as I now think, vainly flattered myself that without very much bloodshed it might be done. So these are harrowing words uh, from the the man with the iron hand, as he was referred to as by uh, Frederick Douglass. Even considered to be uh, one of the most violent abolitionists uh, during this time period, uh, even he had still held the hope that there would be a peaceful resolution to the larger uh, slave dilemma. And uh, his experiences in bleeding Kansas and Harper's Ferry uh, removed that optimism from him. And of course, as we know now, his words would be prophetic. Uh, if this was 1859, uh, two years later, uh, the series of secession would begin and then ultimately uh, the Democrats would fire on Fort Sumter uh, and the Star of the West and initiate the Civil War. Now, earlier uh, I alluded to the mistake on, the, on behalf of the Southern uh, slavers Uh, in executing John Brown and imprisoning John Brown and not trying him in a northern court. And that really culminated with his execution. Uh, In death, as tends to be the case with with, uh, powerful public figures, uh, he essentially became a messianic figure for the abolitionist movement. Uh, Numerous uh, battle hymnals and songs in his honor were authored and and sung, uh, including uh, throughout the Civil War on the side of the North and the Union, who would uh, (laughs) sing a song called uh, John Brown's Body as they marched towards their next Confederate uh, stronghold to assault. Uh, His son very famously also said, only force and firearms kept slavery out of Kansas, Uh, which, of course, just elucidates further the events uh, we described in episode 15. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, said, predictably and correctly, of John Brown, that he will make the gallows holy as the cross. And this, uh, of course, came to be true. Uh, One of the more popular verses of just one of the many songs dedicated to John Brown uh, reads... John Brown was a hero, undaunted, true, and brave. And Kansas knows his valor when he fought her rights to save. Now, though the grass grows green above his grave, his soul is marching on. And uh, those of us who were fortunate enough to grow up in the church uh, for our entire entire childhood uh, will recognize not just uh, the cadence of those lines, but also the Uh, The last part, his soul is marching on. Uh, It was uh, new verses applied to uh, to an existing uh, uh, biblical hymn, uh, which I'm sure uh, John Brown would find uh, very uh, suiting to his legacy. So in examining John Brown entirely, uh, you don't have the uh, terrorist that he's uh, actually attempted to be defined by uh, modern government historical sources. Uh, but he was uh, some, probably one of the most, uh, well, certainly one of the most influential uh, abolitionists at the time. Uh, although his his most significant accomplishments may have been uh, his uh, military successes and victories in guerrilla war in Kansas. Uh, his his use as a symbol. Uh, carried on beyond his death and continued to fuel the anti-slavery efforts uh, and helped to change the public mind in the North away from ambivalency of slavery uh, to the abject rejection of slavery uh, into abolitionism, uh, something that would have been considered radical, uh, and rightfully so, uh, just uh, decades prior. So although he's best remembered for the more uh, violent episodes uh, Throughout his life uh, He was a conductor On the Underground Railroad uh, Starting as early as 1825 He helped educate uh, Free blacks how to farm And become self-sufficient He he helped arm and train uh, Free blacks and fugitive slaves and uh, For the purposes of Self-defense Of securing uh, their inalienable rights uh, And it was ultimately violence that he provided a measured and precise violence uh, not a glorified uh, you know, Mongolian uh, raid uh, but precision against the pro-slavery forces uh, as a reaction to their violence uh, and ultimately he became one of the most powerful symbols uh, that compelled and fueled the drive of the North into the Civil War.